Good morning, and welcome to Thursday's edition of the show. This is February 2nd, and this is my first time being on Thursdays. So I am very pleased to have a new time slot and still remain on 103.5 FMLP. My name is Michelle Turner, and I have the good fortune of being the host of the show here on the New Haven Independence Radio Station. With me on the phone this morning is Chris George, and he is the executive director of IRIS, the Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services in New Haven, Connecticut. And what we're going to talk about is how, not so much his organization, but how they are affected by the new executive order that deals with refugees. Let me run some numbers down real quick. Now, this is from the Wall Street Journal as of 2015. The most refugees that we have seen over the past 25 years, according to their statistics, was during the Balkan Wars, which was 142,000 people coming into the United States. That was in 1993. 80,000 refugees slash immigrants came in. Between 2008 and 2011, the number was 80,000. During 2005, that number sort of stabilized, got a little higher, around 85,000 immigrants, with 10,000 of those people being Syrian. So now what the new administration has done is halt refugee programs or the refugee program of the United States for 120 days and bars for 90 days, legal immigration from Libya, Iran, Iraq, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. So Chris George, good morning. And thank you so much for appearing on the show at the last minute to discuss how this executive order affects immigrants. All right, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, the executive orders last Friday come as a real blow, um, make, uh, making all of us very sad and at the same time um, angry. Mm-hmm. Um, refugee resettlement, um, in most people's opinion, is one of the best things this country does. I mean, it's the Statue of Liberty in action. Right, right. Uh, it is probably our finest foreign policy. It has almost universal support around the world from other governments, and it makes this country strong. I mean, bringing uh, incredible people from all over the world who have suffered horrendous persecution, but nevertheless, they are amazing people with amazing skills. I mean, Albert Einstein was a refugee. Well, I mean, bring most of the folks we having work or working in Silicon Valley have green cards. <laughs> yeah, a lot of yes, a lot of absolutely. If you do studies of uh, businesses, new businesses mm-hmm. that have been started over the past few years, more than more than fifty percent uh, are started by immigrants. So they come with you know with with new skills, with new ideas. Uh, they're just uh, terrific way to enrich this country. Um, 
on top of it being a humanitarian that this country has just always done. I mean, even even the uh, Republican um, uh, head of the House, uh, mm-hmm. Paul Ryan, today said he supports refugee resettlement. Uh, he said it just needs to be done um, in a proper way. People need to be vetted. Well, I would um, tell Paul Ryan, if I had a chance, <laughs> that people have been vetted. Yeah, because that seems through. to be that seems to be the crux of this executive order. And I I wonder in fact with the president having the right or it is at his discretion, his or her discretion to cap that number, what is it that they are looking for when they're talking about vetting? That's exactly my question. Uh, all of us have been talking until we're blue in the face about how rigorous the vetting process is. I mean, we we know it because we know the thousands of people who've gone through it, and mm-hmm. they tell us about it, and we've also done our homework, and we've studied all the, all well, what the articles. Is it? Are you familiar with that process? Can you talk about yes, that a little takes, bit? I mean, people people are interviewed by the Department of Homeland Security. They are interviewed several times. They are fingerprinted. They are asked all kinds of questions about names of their friends, names of their relatives, mm-hmm. names of people they did business with. Where did you go to school? What were, what were the classes that you took? The names of the professors. Were you a member of any club? Were you active in any political groups? On and on and on. They'll fingerprint them. They'll share the information with um, intelligence agencies from around the world. There will be checks against databases and terrorist watch lists. And there are usually, you know, six months between these series of interviews. <laughs> Excuse me. And it takes forever. Yeah, because I was going to say, that's not, it's not like, okay, we ask you these questions over a weekend. And then we make right. a decision. And, and, and at the end of the process, um, it's important to know at the end of the process, if there's ever any doubt question about, you know, the accuracy or honesty of, um, of these refugees, then they're just removed from the list. They're screened out, and thousands are screened out over, over, uh, during, these, during these interviews. So the, the vetting process is acknowledged by all of the countries around the world as the most rigorous in the world. Mm-hmm. The U.S. has the most rigorous vetting process ever, and it is also the hardest way for anyone to get into this country. You know, it's like two two foreigners outside the United States chatting, having a cup of coffee, saying, hey, what's the hardest way to get in the United States? The refugee resettlement program. Mm. So I ask people, I challenge people who are saying, oh, you know, we have to suspend the whole thing for four months in order to make sure the vetting is, is extreme. I ask them, well, where are the gaps? Mm. Where does it need to be tightened up? Just tell me what you're not satisfied with. What do you think is not extreme enough? Has anyone come through the vetting process who should not have been allowed through? Who Mm -hmm. is that person? Where did they come from? Who interviewed them? What happened? No one has given us any information at all. It's just a mystery. So does this put the brakes on people that you were trying to assist? It puts the brakes on 500 or so people who we were planning to welcome this year. Mm-hmm. 
and um, puts the brakes on for four months um, for all refugees. It could put the brakes on even longer for refugees from Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've welcomed a lot of refugees over the past couple of years, um, about 750. And, from, from Syria um, or just around the world, period? From all over, Syria, mm-hmm. Iraq, Afghanistan, the Congo, Sudan, Eritrea, all over the place. So we'll be working with them. They still need a lot of help. They've arrived, some of them recently, mm-hmm. and you know, need, need to learn English, need some help getting jobs, kids need help in school. So we're working with them, but they're... Their relatives who, and in some cases, members of their immediate family who they were expecting to come and join them, are now banned from coming. They're in limbo. So it, they, they are in limbo. Yeah. 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 So it's, a, it's been a difficult time. But, but the other thing is um, refugees here now... Um, are wondering what this means. I mean, what Correct. do these executive orders mean? Yes, we know the specific implications of them, but you know, are they are they an indicator that the U.S. is has changed its its feeling about refugees? Mm-hmm. Not as welcoming, not as compassionate. You know, why did you know what 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 what's this country like now? And am I going to be welcomed? Am I going to be you know treated well? We're assuring people that um, they're still welcome, um, but they see these executive orders as a signal that maybe things have changed. And um, my feeling is that um, the president has has badly miscalculated. Um, I don't think he was expecting the kind of pushback, mm-hmm. demonstrations. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the criticism that the executive orders uh, have, uh, have received since he signed it, I think he and his circle of uh, friends have, have been a little surprised. Well, so let we me need ask to keep you up this. The pressure. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. Has the climate for accepting refugees in this country is is this sort of peaking? Because there was a time after nine eleven when it seemed that people were looking at and asking questions about the refugee process in the United States. And then things sort of got quiet, although it has been said that former president Obama put more people behind bars who did not have green cards or who did not um, have the proper paperwork. And those people were not justifiably uh, given due process so are we right. sort of peeking at something, or is this is this sort of, how can I say, um, like well, we've, me, we've gone uphill sort of, and now we're at the peak of this, this uh, crisis, if you will? Mm-hmm. Well, and if you talk about, um, if you try to generalize and talk about public sentiment, national public sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, sympathy and support for refugees was at an all-time high, probably higher than I've ever seen it in my 11 years of doing this work, mm-hmm. right after 
that heartbreaking photograph of that four-year-old Syrian child was washed up dead yes. on the beach in Turkey. Yes. And that had come after weeks and weeks of, um, of news coverage of um, the refugee crisis mm-hmm. in Europe. Mm-hmm. So sympathy, compassion, support peaked at that point. Soon afterwards, there, there was a terrorist attack, you'll remember it, in Paris, mm-hmm. which refugees had nothing to do with, but there were rumors spread that refugees were involved. And that's all it took. False information, refugees were involved, and then before you knew it, there were thousands of people here saying, we don't want refugees. There were governors of several states saying, mm-hmm. we don't want to welcome Syrian refugees. It became a campaign issue, uh, fear-mongering. You know, refugees were another people put on the list of people you can blame if you feel your life is not what you want it to be, mm-hmm. right? There are, you know, undocumented immigrants, there are refugees, there are, you know, um, you know minorities, mm-hmm. um, you know, other people who are to blame, uh, along with the government, and candidates were making the most of this. My feeling is, and that's not just a feeling, my, ex- my experience has been that when people actually understand the refugee program, they, and if they really understand the vetting process, mm-hmm. that's why we spend a lot of time talking about it. And, and, and if they go even further and meet refugees, you know, join a community group that resettles a family and you know, meets them at the airport and helps the kids you know, walk to school and tutors the mother in English, mm-hmm. really meet these people, hear their stories, and um, understand, you know, what they're looking for in the United States, why they came here, you know, the safety, the security, freedoms, um, then they will support the refugee program. If you have never met a refugee, if you close your eyes when, uh, you know, information is put in front of you about the refugee resettlement program, if you pay no attention to the facts about the vetting process, then it's really easy to say, we don't want refugees they just come in unvetted, but it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense, and we're all just shocked that um, the President of the United States would sign an executive order that halts the finest, most noble American tradition, welcoming persecuted people. And um, he's hearing about it now. I mean, he's, he's, he is hearing from... Thousands of people around the country. You know, we, we have this little road race mm-hmm. every Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, every Super Bowl Sunday. It's called the Run for Refugees. Mm-hmm. And it usually, you know, the first year, about 10 years ago, it attracted 300 people. Last year it was a banner year. My gosh, it attracted 1,000 people. This year, the registrations for that little road race have skyrocketed to over 2,500 Wow. In fact, we had to we had to cap it at two thousand five hundred. Otherwise, we would probably be well over three thousand people. And you know, they're not all runners. They are coming to make a statement. Mm-hmm. They're coming to the run slash walk for refugees Super Bowl Sunday morning to be counted in this 
you know, national debate about refugee resettlement to be counted as people on the side of welcoming refugees. It's an amazing thing that's happened. So you're you're seeing backlash to the president's executive order. Oh yes. Big time here in Connecticut, all across the state. And it's partly because several you know, I don't know, 50, 50 or so community groups all over Connecticut have um have signed up to welcome refugees. Mm-hmm. Already 44 refugee families have been placed with community groups. So these are these are people all over the state of Connecticut, you know, mostly in in the New Haven area who have not only not only understand the refugee resettlement program, but they have met and are working with and living with right down the street from uh refugees. Yeah, because I guess uh, I, my question would be how do you not I don't want to use the word battle, but how do you work against the stereotype of all the things that you described besides just having people come in and work with refugees? How do you battle the stereotype that they're here to take my job or, you know, they're they're here as terrorists or they're not really lazy? I mean, they're not really workers. They're lazy. How how do you get the message out and and let well, people best, know that these people are people who are considered persecuted? Yeah, yeah. Well, what we've done is we've really geared up all of the public speaking, the public education work, presentations that we've been doing, um, and we've got more and more staff who are going out. Um, and giving talks. I mean, I'm speaking in Farmington um, uh, tomorrow night at, at the library. Um, I, I spoke with four groups. I gave four presentations uh, just on, on um, what was it, Saturday, Sunday? Mm-hmm. I can't even remember now. I think it was Sunday. Mm-hmm. Candlelight vigil, um, benefit concert, a group in Westville at a church in downtown New Haven. So we're out there all the time talking to people and educating people. Um, and then we're opening up our, our doors to volunteers and community groups who want to work with us. So that is probably the most effective way. Um, we're also dealing with, with journalists. We're doing interviews like this, um, you know, as often as we can uh, to get the word out. And I think, I think, it, I think it does make a difference. Um, uh, we haven't done scientific surveys, mm-hmm. but it seems like the uh, outpouring of support for refugees um, is as great here in Connecticut as it is in any state, um, and um, and that's really uh, that's really heartening. It's really encouraging to see that. There are definitely more community groups welcoming refugees mm-hmm. here in Connecticut than in any other state, but that's that's partly because we we have been promoting this model of community co-sponsorship. I don't think this is promoted. I was going to say probably more so than anywhere else in the at least in the Northeast and perhaps no, the, in certain... no. I think the whole nation, the whole yeah. country. 
Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think there is I don't think there is any state in this country that has welcomed 44 more than 44 refugee families uh into their communities. Um these are community groups that have stepped forward to welcome families. Yes, you know, most refugees are resettled by refugee resettlement agencies, mm-hmm. staff of nonprofits like IRIS. But we have a complementary program that places families with community groups that have been trained by us. And it has really taken off in Connecticut. So how long have you all, just as a little sidebar, bar? How long have you all been doing this? Can you give me a brief history of your organization? Sure. Sure. IRIS was created back in 1982. Back then, we were called Interfaith Refugee Ministry. We were created by the Episcopal Diocese of Connecticut. And we resettled refugees. Back then, it was mostly from uh, Southeast Asia. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, over the years we, we grew and, uh, eventually moved, um, to this office here in the East Rock part of town. Um, I joined in 2005 mm-hmm. and we've made a big effort since 2005 to raise our profile, to raise more private funds so we could do more things, more services um, with refugees, to make the organization more inclusive. And by that, I mean change our name, reach out to a variety of people in the community, Mm -hmm. um, not just work with churches, but also with synagogues and universities and mosques and rotary clubs and, you know, anyone who wants to join us and help welcome refugees. We we emphasize that this is, you know, sure, it is consistent with the principles of most religions, you know, welcoming the stranger, mm-hmm. um, but it is also a very American tradition. So we have as many American symbols Statue of Liberty, American flags, you know, posters of Einstein around the office uh, as we do anything. Mm-hmm. So it has worked well. We've attracted um, a lot of students and all sorts of um, community groups. And uh, we got larger and larger. We were years ago, we were the smallest refugee agency in the state. There are two others, one in Bridgeport and one in Hartford. Mm-hmm. But we were the smallest, um, but now we're the largest. <laughs> and we're the largest mostly because of the private support that has allowed us to grow. I mean, we were getting offers of support from all over the state at the end of 2015 when the refugee crisis was the worst the world has ever seen. So we turned to Washington and said, you know, we have so much support here in Connecticut, you can send us twice as many refugees. Mm. And they did. Um, So Connecticut has a lot to be proud of. Uh, I know that they're also really angry now, as we are, and they want to do something about this. And I tell you, the, the outpouring of support has just been phenomenal. I mean, people going to, you know, candlelight vigils and 
standing room only at uh, benefit concerts mm-hmm. and you know gathering at uh, public places for for meetings and and then of course the amazing um uh, registration numbers for the the run for refugees right after the run by the way um same day sunday this coming sunday super bowl sunday mm-hmm. after the run at 12 noon people will be gathering for a big march uh, they'll be gathering at wilbur cross high school which is where the run takes place mm-hmm. uh, at 12 noon to march down orange street to the green um, carrying signs and banners um, to show their support for refugees. Who's coming to Connecticut? Where are the refugees coming from? Well, the the nationalities nowadays uh, that we're resettling are, uh, over the past couple of years, have mainly been Syrian. Now that's all going to stop. Um, also, we're getting refugees from Iraq and Afghanistan. There will still be a trickle of people coming in from Iraq and Afghanistan mm-hmm. through a program that the State Department calls Special Immigrant Visas. That's um, specifically designed to bring to the United States interpreters who worked with our troops in yes. Afghanistan and Iraq. Yes, I've heard, of, I've heard of this program, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, they made an exception for them. They didn't on Friday when the when they signed the order, um, but they have since realized that um, they have to make an exception for them. Um, this order was not well thought out. It was not reviewed by legal authorities. Um, it certainly wasn't reviewed by many people, if any, at the State Department. It was um, uh, ill-conceived and poorly uh, implemented, um, causing all kinds of confusion and problems all around the world. So they're, uh, of course, trying to put best face they can on it, but uh, it's been a disaster. Well, the, the argument that seems to be floating around is, or the defense that I hear most is that, he, i.e., the president, is filling campaign promises. And so this yep. was one of the things that he is fulfilling. And it just seems that there were no people who deal with immigration law or any advice from any attorneys in regard to not only the Constitution, but what is already been accepted as law, not just uh, people who were coming in through the refugee program, but affecting those who had green cards as well. Yes, right, exactly. And they really had to, uh, they really had to quickly regroup and um, change the executive order regarding the green card holders. I, I mean, it, you know, it just makes you scratch your head and wonder, you know, who was who was drafting this? How many people were in the room when this was thought out? Wasn't there someone who knew about the implications for green card holders who would stand up and say, hey, excuse me, but I don't think we want to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 
It really makes us look bad. And that's another, that's another aspect of this that we haven't really talked about much. Um, the whole world is watching us. And this sends a message across the globe that the United States is backing away from the long-standing historic tradition of being a leader in resettling refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you kind of close your eyes and you imagine cracks in the Statue of Liberty as this executive order was signed. Um, you've seen, you know, cartoons of tears coming down, you know, Lady Liberty's eyes or, you know, a, a wrecking crane uh, next to the Statue of Liberty. Uh, which, of course, is the, the symbol of this this great tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. Um, used to have significant moral authority and leverage, influence with other countries um, that we would sometimes use to encourage them to take more refugees. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're not the only country resettling refugees. There, there are others who do it year after year after year. Uh, and then, of course, just last year, Germany took in uh, about a million refugees. Which is one of the well, highest when, numbers in, on the planet. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, but that'll probably drop down to a much smaller number. Um, but the U.S. used to be able to go to United Nations meetings, or mm-hmm. maybe you know our Secretary of State would, would meet with other foreign ministers, and have conversations about the refugee crisis. You know, hey, can't you take more Australia or France? Can't you bump up your numbers? Look how many we're taking. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not taking that many. The overall number has now dropped from 110,000 to just 50,000. So there will be a kind of you know ripple effect um, where other countries will also lower their numbers. And what does that mean for the 25 million? 25 million refugees in the world waiting for some kind of a solution, some kind of a, a permanent solution to their crisis, it means they're going to lose hope. They'll become desperate. And you saw what desperation does to families. They, they will put their children on these inflatable rafts mm-hmm. on the coast of Turkey or North Africa. They'll overcrowd these boats crossing the Mediterranean towards Italy, the boats will sink. So we're going to see thousands of people dying over the next few months because of this executive order. That's not an exaggeration. People are going to die. So organizations like yours, how do they plan on battling this? How do they plan on fighting the executive order? If they do pose a fight, are you going now to the courts? Are you going to the public? What is the strategy? Um, It is um, um, a multi-prong approach. Mm -hmm. We are encouraging people to send messages directly to the White House. Um, through Twitter, Facebook, email, letters, phone calls, whatever. We want to go straight to the White House and express our um, our anger uh, and disappointment over this executive order. 
we are encouraging people to con- contact their elected um, officials. So uh, members of the House, uh, senators, all of them should get letters if they are already criticizing the executive orders, if they're already supporters of a refugee program, then we should call them, contact them, and congratulate them and thank them. Uh, Thank you very much for supporting refugees and for speaking out against this executive order. They need to know. And then we're asking people to reach out to friends and family in other states where elected representatives might not be uh, so favorable to refugee resettlement and, and asking them to change their mind, educating them, telling them about the process, explaining that the vetting process is already extreme. We're working with the press as much as we can. And as I said, we're also getting out to do presentations. So we're, we're trying to do as much education and work with the public, um, demonstrate our disapproval. And um, hopefully um, it'll have an impact. And um, I'm um, I'm hopeful that um, the period, uh, the four month uh, suspension, uh, will be shortened. We're hoping that the indefinite uh, suspension of resettlement of Syrians will also be um, shortened, and um, maybe even the total number of refugees that we bring to this country. Um, it will not be just 50,000, as uh, President Trump announced. Maybe we can even get that higher. Um, he, he does respond to, um, to pressure. It's sometimes difficult to tell how or from mm-hmm. where. Um, but as I said, I think, um, I think he was not aware of how much support there is for refugee resettlement. Well, do you think that he could reverse the order if the pressure is on from the public or not reinforce it down the line? Uh, yes, it can be reversed. I, what I'm hoping for is for um, the Department of Homeland Security um, to conduct this review of the vetting process very quickly mm-hmm. um, to demonstrate um, to the administration that it is extremely tough vetting. If they want to tweak it and make it a little bit tougher, okay, fine, get that done. Um, and then um, perhaps the order or the period of time, uh, the, the four-month suspension period will be shortened. Um, so that's that's all possible. They're showing that they're revising the executive order, first to allow green card people in, and later we heard it was revised to allow interpreters from Afghanistan, and Mm -hmm. then two days later, interpreters from Iraq. So um, this is pretty fluid now. Um, The next uh, change might be to allow certain people to come in for special humanitarian reasons. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we'll we'll try to take advantage of that. Um, It's very fluid. We're going to look for openings where wherever we can get them. But of course, our first choice is to have the entire order just thrown out because it's very un-American mm-hmm. and probably uh, illegal. I mean, the the effect 
of some aspects of this executive order are are discriminatory, um, discriminating against uh, against Muslim refugees, and we don't you know we don't do that in this country. Well, uh, in isn't fact, there... there are laws that say right. there are laws that say we will not discriminate against refugees, immigrants coming to this country on the basis of their nationality or religion. Now, I know that the executive order doesn't jump out and say that, but courts don't look at just the wording, they look at the impact. And if the, if the impact is that fewer Muslims are coming, then courts might be able to demonstrate that it's discriminatory. Well, also, it's, it's, it's precedent. And if you have precedent set, then that's our, uh, that's examined, that's looked at in, in uh, determining how they will move forward. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm so encouraged to see so many people uh, join this, um, this movement to push back. Um, we have, a lot of just you know amazing people have stepped forward. Um, you see how many lawyers have gone to um, the airports all over the country. Mm-hmm. You're you're never going to tell a, a lawyer joke again, uh, <laughs> having seen <laughs> how so many of them on their own. This is pro bono. They're not being paid, but thousands of lawyers volunteered to help um, refugees and other immigrants make their way through uh, customs and security screening uh, at airports because they knew it was the right thing to do. Well, not only that, um, it seems that, again, because as you pointed out a few moments ago, the fluidness, if you will, if that's such a word, really made a difference because if you've already had a green card, and you're coming back and you get to the airport and they're telling you no, then certainly yeah. it's against the law to be withheld at that point because you're a yeah. citizen. So well, you're, have a, to be you're a legal, right. You're a legal permanent resident. Correct. Um, not, not quite citizen, not quite but citizen, legal but permanent resident and, and you're a permanent you, you, know, resident, you, you yes. have rights. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so yes, it's changing from day to day. So, what is it that you want the public to know about this executive order in in the work that you do? Mm-hmm. What do you want people to know about how it's affecting the work that you all do? Well, um, with a drastic reduction in the number of refugees nationwide, from 110,000 to 50,000, we will probably see, we could probably see, a proportional reduction in the number of refugees that we resettle Mm -hmm. here. We were expecting about 500 in 2017. We might only receive 250, mm-hmm. and um, a big piece of our federal funding is based on the number of refugees that come. 
So our federal funding could be reduced by more than $200,000. Uh, that's a, that's, in fact, it probably will be. Um, so we will have to find some way to make that up. So and when's your next fundraiser? <laughs> well, the next fundraiser is Super Bowl Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. so, I'm talking about after that. <laughs> well, you know, we'll be doing receptions and, you know, we might send out an, an appeal. Um, but um, uh, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to raise that money um, so we can keep the program going uh, during this, this four-month period. We have a ton of people here to work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, because because so many came last year. I mean, it was it was like twice the number, uh, the the previously high number of refugees. So, um, you know, we we are going to need extra help, uh, extra financial help. So uh, we are getting the word out. We're delighted um, to see the results of the uh, the fundraising around the run, mm-hmm. and and many people have stepped forward and have offered to help. People, it's it's interesting because when 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 many of the people who are contributing now, they're it's like they have a dual purpose. Number one, they're financially supporting a refugee resettlement agency. Number two, they're making a statement, mm-hmm. and many people are including notes with their checks, saying, "I'm so disgusted by what I see." know, in, in, in Washington and with these executive orders and, you know, the, 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 uh, the rhetoric, uh, the anti-refugee rhetoric, I want to, you know, support your organization. So that's just been wonderful. And it just, you know, every day um, I am grateful um, to be working in a place like New Haven, in a state like Connecticut, uh, resettling refugees. I think, I think, the people of this state, people of this city, have have demonstrated again very powerfully that um, this is one of the most welcoming communities in the country. If you had the opportunity uh, to speak with the president in regard to the executive order, what would you say to him? I mean, you know, well, of course, there are some things that are obvious, but. What is what is the crux of your message to him? Well, it's funny you ask, because we have invited him. We have invited President Trump to come here to our office, if he dares, to sit down with a refugee family. I don't think he has ever spent time in a refugee camp. I don't think he has ever met a refugee family. Um, most of us here have. I mean, I've spent 16 years in the Middle East, and a lot of that was spent in refugee camps. Mm. Um, and I've, I've seen the conditions, I've talked to people, I've heard what they've gone through. And then on top of that, 11 years here in refugee resettlement. So we have invited him to come here, to sit down with a family, have a cup of coffee with them, and hear their story. Hear how they had to leave in the middle of the night because shells were crashing down on them. Hear how their oldest son was shot dead in front of them. Hear how their father was tortured or their mother was raped. Hear how they were barely able to escape with their lives and sweat it out for four, five, ten, fifteen years sometimes in a refugee camp. 
and then they finally have a chance to come to this country and to rebuild their lives and and hear why they came here and their great admiration for um, the United States and and our values and uh, our freedoms and our democracy and the opportunities. He hears all of that. I challenge him to stick to these executive orders. Um, I think he's afraid to really face the human consequences of these orders that he has signed. So the invitation's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't heard back, but um, I'll let you know um, if he comes. <laughs> And Please we'll do. get them on. We'll get them on your show. <laughs> Please do. I'd love to have that conversation. Chris George, Executive Director of IRIS, the Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services Organization. Thank you so much for appearing on the show today and letting us know how these executive orders have affected your organization and the work that you do. Um, please let us know again. What's happening on Sunday? Well, uh, Sunday there is a run for refugees in the morning. If you're registered for it, we'll see you there. If you're not, I am so sorry. It's too late. (laughs) We had to cap it at 2,500. But at 12 noon, there is a march from Wilbercross High School down Orange Street. 12 noon, there is a march to demonstrate your support for refugees. You do not have to register for that. You can just come and bring a poster or a banner. We'd love to see you there. Chris George, thank you so much for appearing on the show today. Appreciate your time and your energy. And do keep us posted in regard to the work that you're doing. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks a lot for your interest in this issue. And um, I'll come back anytime. Thank you. You've been listening to the show here on 103.5 FMLP, WNHH New Haven.